The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. In business, you have to play to win. You need an edge. You'll find that edge in the business locker room. Hey, business is like sports, and I want to bring the locker room to the boardroom. Giving you the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the business locker room. Now... Here is your host, Kelly Riggs. And welcome to Biz Locker Radio. Absolutely fantastic to have you on board. Great to have you joining us on the show. I'm Kelly Riggs, and this is show number 54 here on Biz Locker Radio. It is the show that uh, brings you compelling conversations and useful content that you can use to improve your business performance Guaranteed you're going to do that today. Great to have you on board, as I mentioned. And we have got a fantastic show lined up for you today. If you're looking to improve your business performance, whether you own a business, sell a product, manage a team, lead a company, this is definitely the place for you to be. We have experts in sales and marketing and business strategy and leadership, social media, and all of those kinds of things. It's Biz Locker Radio. Find us online, bizlockerradio.com, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Kelly Riggs. By the way, do like I do. Download the podcast. Man, it's uh, fantastic. Get it right off of iTunes. You can find all of that information on bizlockerradio.com. Listen to it on your daily commute. All the content is absolutely spectacular. I mean, this is real practical things that you can use. And by the way, as we always do or have been doing for quite a while, we're giving away a free book. So, I mean, I'm talking about world-class authors, guys that are on this show and uh, I had somebody ask me last week, I, I, they said, hey, I love your show. And I said, did you enter to win the book? And they said, no, because I don't know what book you're giving away. Well, this week I'm going to make it easy. One of my guests today is Jeff Shore, and he is the author of Be Bold and Win the Sale. And also one of my guests is Jack Malcolm, and he is the author of Strategic Sales Presentations. You want one of those books? Absolutely free. No shipping, no nothing. All you have to do is text the word BizLocker to 33444, and I'm going to send you a copy of that book. We're going to give away up to six of those books, three apiece, and love to give one to you. As I mentioned, uh, the guests coming on our show, today's show, The Psychology of Buying, but bookmark next week's show, Joe Polizzi will join me from the Content Marketing Institute, and I tell you what, it will be a fantastic interview, and if you have any interest whatsoever in content marketing, and that's blogs, LinkedIn, publishing, social media, whatever it is, you want to make sure you you stand by for that show. It's going to be fantastic. That's next week on the 18th of May. And then, of course, the week after that, we'll be taking a week off for Labor Day. So we'll be doing a big show replay. Our guest today, I've mentioned, but the name of our show today, The Psychology of Selling. 
Jack Malcolm. He joins us. He's the president of Falcom Performance Group and, as I mentioned, the author of Strategic Sales Presentations, also Bottom Line Selling. And his personal areas of expertise include sales finance and the psychology of personal communication and persuasion. Jeff Shore also on the show today. And as I mentioned, he's the author of Be Bold and Win the Sale. He has uh, authored five books himself, and he's a guy that's all over the country, extensive frontline experience with late, the latest cognitive behavioral therapy research. I'm glad to have you guys on the show. We're going to have a good time today. Jeff and Jack, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, that, that's a wealth of static. That's always the problem with having two guys on the show, but I tell you, this is now week four in this series, guys, and you get to back cleanup. This is the final uh, episode of four consecutive series on sales, and we start off talking about the psychology of selling. Jeff, let me start with you. When when I use that word, the psychology of selling, or this actually the name of the show is the psychology of buying. Let me get it mm-hmm. right. What what does that mean to you? The psychology of buying. What are we What are we implying there? Well, I think it starts with the idea that you know, we can ask ourselves, well, how do I want to sell my product? How do I want to sell my service? But uh, yeah, I think I would speak for Jack on this as well. I'm far more interested in how somebody wants to buy uh, our product or our service. And it's really been an evolution, I think, over the last you know, uh, 20 to 25 years where, uh, you know, that sort of the, you know, the, the loud jacket, uh, white shoes, medallion product and the hair type of salesperson, what's going to change? Uh, yeah, I think this is just gone. Uh, we, I think today we're far more savvy, far more interested in the perspective of a customer if we're going to design a good sales presentation. Now, Jeff, I, I can't imagine you knowing uh, what your hair looks like talking about product in the hair. Now, Jack, on the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> he, he could use some product in his hair, no question. He's still got all of his. Ja- I could Jack, use some hair what? for my product. <laughs> Jack, <laughs> what is the psychology of buying from your perspective? Agree with Jeff or a different take? I agree with Jeff. I, I think we could actually go into a lot more depth than that. You, you figure anytime that somebody is buying, they're making a decision. And 30 years ago, nobody knew what we know today from a lot of the science of how people are making decisions, and I think that's what's really exciting. If, if you're knowledgeable about it, if you're professional about it, you can use psychology of buying to help you out. Well, it's interesting from my perspective, three decades in, in the sales world plus, and you know, I to me, it really is what separates the amateurs from the real professionals is that amateurs are product pushers and real professionals are out trying to solve problems for people who they know exist in a world of problems. And there is indeed an enormous psychology associated with the sales process, but with the buying decision itself. Jack, isn't that true? Absolutely. People say that... People don't make decisions rationally. They make decisions emotionally, and then they justify those rationally. I think that's mainly true in in a lot of cases. If we're talking about B2B buying, though, some people can go overboard with it as well and maybe focus a little bit too much on the psychology and not enough on the real nuts and bolts of what's a good solution for that buyer. Well, explain more about that. What What do you have in mind? Well, there's an old saying in sales, and and I'm I'm sure you've all heard it. It says, sell the sizzle, not the steak. And I think it's a great saying. You've got to get people excited about the solution that you're selling. At the same time, if they buy the sizzle and the steak turns out to be crappy, they're not going to come back and buy from you anymore. So what I find is that I think a lot of salespeople focus too much on the psychology sometimes and don't get 
their facts straight. They don't make sure that everything that they're selling to the client is what they need based on really asking tough questions, understanding how they do things, understanding how they do business, and understanding ways that they can improve that. So you've got to get the you, you, you've got to get the facts straight. It's kind of like building a house. You, you build the foundation, you build solid walls, and then you put on the nice paint job and a nice decor. Yeah, it makes good sense, Jeff. If I'm, I'm hearing Jack right, he's talking about balance. He's talking about uh, being able to actually have something to be psychological about. You know, so there has to be some substance behind the curtain. At the same time, I mean, I hearken back to a book Brian Tracy wrote uh, over two decades ago, The Psychology of Selling. Clearly, that face-to-face interaction, there, there's a lot going on interpersonally in a face-to-face uh, selling uh, experience. Well, there's no doubt about it. I, I, you know, just to, to look at what Jack was saying, is just look at the difference now and say 20, 30 years ago, especially when selling took place without the Internet. Well, the Internet is the great equalizer in information. So 20 years ago, I could look at it and say, as a salesperson, I'm going to give you this piece of information, and you can have that piece of information, and now I'm going to hold on to this piece of information over here. Well, not anymore. There's such a rampant transparency out there that, uh, you know, if, if you don't really know your stuff, well, a customer's going to be able to figure it out for you and in no time at all. And yet when we look at it, then we say if information is not the sole factor that keeps salespeople at being effective in what it is they do, what is? And I would suggest that what is is the application of information. How does this information help you specifically? How does it help your organization? How does it improve your life in some way? And that's what great salespeople are doing today. They've got, look, know everything, but share what matters. Well, what matters? Well, that's depending on how well you know the person standing right in front of you, right? So if we know our customer extremely well, uh, that's going to make all the difference in being able to get into some of the psychological underpinnings of the very things that they say and do. Well, to your point, Jack, I I have often uh, made the comment to sales teams that there's a very, very thin line that divides uh, the great salesperson from the great con man. And that, that thin line is called characters from my perspective. And I, and I think perhaps that's a little bit of what you have in mind is psychology for the sake of psychology might just be conning somebody out of their money. But uh, psychology coupled with great information can actually lead to great solutions that make good sense for the buyer. Would that be fair? Yeah, I, I think when you're talking about psychology, uh, a lot of that has to come down to emotions. And I would say if, if you want to make a long-term sustainable career in sales, the emotion that you need to get most often in your buyers is trust. And character, of course, is a huge part of that. And if you're using psychology to understand what motivates and what drives that person, and then laying out the facts in a transparent enough way that they can trust what you're saying and you're doing it for their best interest, then then I'm all for it. But but you're right. There, there's a lot of con men that try to use the whole psychology of buying to try to manipulate people into doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So I'm with you 100% on that. You know, yeah. one of the best books that I've read in the last 20 years is The Psychology of Persuasion, in Influence the Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini, which is a book I'm sure many of your audience members are familiar with. Well, when I first read the book, it was, became very clear to me, this is a powerful, powerful treatise on how people are influenced or can be influenced, but you also get the sense that you're a half step away from, from how to manipulate people if you're right. not careful. 
So right. I think what yeah. Jack said there was, whose interests are we serving? That That's really the dividing line where character comes into play. If I'm only interested in getting a sale without really any concern as to whether or not that's in my customer's best interest, uh, that's the salesperson that I would like to think at least uh, lived in a different day than we're seeing now. Yeah, no question about it. You're listening to episode number 54 of BizLocker Radio. It's called The Psychology of Buying. Two fabulous guests today. Jeff Shore, he is, uh, can be found at jeffshore.com. Also, follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Shore. And Jack Malcolm, our other guest, he have jackmalcolm.com. You guys make it really easy. And on Twitter, at Jack Malcolm. I, that's the easiest guest introductions I've ever done. You know, when we when we begin to talk about psychology, guys, you're, you're talking about some understanding of in, in of what the buyer is feeling and what their issues are and, you know, all of those kinds of things. What I'd like to really talk about and perhaps bring some practical tools to the listeners is how does a salesperson get insights into that psychology of the buyer? Jack, let me start with you. What what are the things that you would teach new salespeople to do if we need to understand the psychology of the buyer? I'd, I'd like to recommend one book, and I probably would have recommended Robert Cialdini's book, but Jeff's already talked about that. Another book that I would strongly recommend, and, and you recall a couple minutes ago I talked about the fact that we've learned so much in 30 years. The person who really taught us a lot of, about what we've learned in the last 30 years is a guy by the name of Daniel Kahneman, and he wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. He spent his entire career figuring out how people make decisions and how those decisions will vary from what you would think would be the the straight dollars and cents and uh, adding adding the numbers together. And it's just a fascinating book, and it, it will tell you pretty much all you need to know about the psychology of how people make decisions, which, of course, is what we're talking about, the psychology of buying. Tell me the name of the book again, Jack. It's called Thinking comma, fast and slow. Thinking fast and slow. Very good. I always love the great book recommendations. And just just to kind of put that into context, the reason he calls it thinking fast and slow is, is, is we all think with two different systems, what he calls system one and system two. And system two is the, the logical, the slow, the let me analyze, collect the facts and, and figure out, uh, weigh out the, and balance the decision. And that's the way we all like to think we think. But then system one is what's going on underneath our conscious brain where it's happening real fast. So somebody walks into your office and you have already within the first probably half a second before that person even opens their mouth, you've already started to formulate an impression of what, what that person, whether you can trust that person or not. And you don't even know that you've done that. So that book is all about how to make sure that you understand uh, both types of thinking because both of them are important in buying decisions. You know, we jump in there, uh, Kelly. First of all, I, I, I don't know why. I had a sense that Jack was going to recommend uh, Daniel Kahneman's book, which I would say is uh, the most powerful book that I've read in the last five years. It, it is really an incredible book. Um, there's a, a, sort of an, a companion book to it called Nudge by Richard Thaler about how to improve decisions about health, wealth, and happiness. Uh, uh, much of the same principles that you're going to see. In fact, he quotes uh, Kahneman extensively in the book. Uh, but I think that when we get into that understanding of just simply how people think, this at the very functional level of how they think, it's a good starting point. And a big part of that is just to try and step into their brain a little bit and get that perspective. So, 
you know, for me, when I'm talking to sales professionals, you know, I'm trying to look at it and say, what populated your brain before you walked through my door? And this is one of the actual things that concerns me about sales. So many salespeople are consumed with what their customer is moving to. And I want to suggest that the proper starting place is what is my customer coming from? Everybody has a backstory. And if I can figure out the backstory, both of, of experiences that they've had in the past, of what they understand about, about the product, about, about the pain that they endured in order to pick up the phone and call me or come to my office or have me come to their office, if I can understand these things, then that front story, what they're moving to, will sort of roll out in front of me. But it really does get into the idea of, of you know, the, some of the psychological trends and Boy, if you read Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, pay close attention to uh, what he labels heuristics, these mental rules of thumb, these mental shortcuts that cause us or help us to make sense of the world around us and to make decisions even in high-stress environments. It's fascinating, fascinating material. Fantastic recommendations from Jeff Shore and Jack Malcolm, our guests here on BizLocker Radio. Get those two books again, Thinking Fast and Slow. And the other one mentioned by Jeff is the book Nudge. We're going to take our first time out. We're going to come back on the other side. We'll continue our discussion about the psychology of buying. And I'm going to explore more about this idea that Jeff uh, offered. And that is how does past experience muddy the water and affect the customer's mindset because, you know, everyone is carrying some baggage around. We want to talk a little bit about that. also want to remind you in the latter part of the show, Miles Austin will join us for the X's and O's segment, and we're going to talk about uh, another fantastic set of tools that you can use to become more productive. I'm Kelly Riggs. This is BizLocker Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. This is Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. 
Hey, welcome back to the Business Locker Room, Biz Locker Radio. Great to have you on board again. The show with compelling conversations, useful content that you can use to improve your business. As I mentioned before we went to break, Miles Austin will join us in the third part of the show, and uh, he of FillTheFunnel.com. We're going to talk about Chrome extensions today, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting. There must be a couple thousand Chrome extensions. We'll find out from the man, Miles Austin, which ones make the most sense. My two guests today, Jeff Shore and Jack Malcolm, we're talking about the psychology of buying, and I hope you've been paying attention to this point. A couple of great book recommendations and some real serious ideas about what psychology of buying means. Jeff, let's jump back in. I'd like to talk about that process when we're interacting with a buyer and that buying process often has a lot of aspects to it. One of those is change and or pain avoidance by the buyer. How much does that play into the process of decision making? Well, I, I think any decision that we're going to make uh, is going to be directed either from the avoidance of pain or the pursuit of pleasure. And, you know, that's uh, the the number one job in the brain, of course, is survival. It's to keep us alive. And so because of that, pain avoidance will always win out over the pursuit of pleasure. Uh, now, ultimately, a great salesperson will try and figure out, how do I determine the customer's pain on this side, and how do I weigh down the prospect of pleasure on the other side? The best sales presentation is when the customer is moving quickly away from something, pain, and quickly to something, pleasure. And if we can look at that psychological balance and weigh down both sides, you have to move away from this. You can't stay where you're at. And by the way, I've got the solution that's going to best improve your life. From the customer's perspective, that brings a sense of cognitive fluency. It's a cognitive ease for my customer when I can sense, yeah, 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 I got to get away from this. I got to move to that. When that gets muddy, it becomes much more difficult to make a decision. Jack, I know that you have uh, spent a lot of time and effort creating a, a great book. I mean, just a fantastic book in my mind, Strategic Sales Presentations. And I know a lot of creating a strategic sales presentation is about matching what you're doing with what the buyer needs. That's that psychology side. But salespeople, especially new ones, are always asking for some very practical advice. How do I become aware of what those pain points are? How do, how do I move them you know, in a very methodological form towards the pleasure that Jeff's talking about. How would you help me as a new guy? Well, I think the first thing you need to do is, and and Jeff talked about this earlier, about how buyers have so much more information than they used to have in the past. It also works on the other side. Sellers have much more information than they had in the past. Mm -hmm. I can research a buyer. I can understand their business. And I can ask much more penetrating questions if I've done that before. When, if, a, if you go into a buyer today, they're so sophisticated. If you start asking them questions about things that you should already know, you're, you're already way behind the eight ball, and you probably have no shot at getting any further than that. So do the research, understand what's going on in their industry, understand what's going on in their company, and then go in there and ask even better questions that will get them to open up about that. That's when the pain comes out. And, and and Jeff is absolutely right. You, you get the pain out on the table, but you've got to have a happy ending as well. So that's when you've got to take them from the pain to show them how your solution is going to take them to gain. Yeah, it's a great point. And Jeff, I know that you're in the real estate world quite a bit. And, and you know, if someone's had a real challenge in the past, 
buying a home, dealing with a real estate agent, clearly they're, they're going to bring that set of psychological circumstances into the buying process. And it can really muddy the water from the beginning. And salespeople ha- need to have an understanding of what's going on there, don't they? Well, it's funny. You know, when you look at, uh, I've actually done this several times when I've asked uh, groups of people, hey, complete the phrase, buyers are what? And off the top of their head, they always say buyers are liars. Now, I know it's, you know, it's cute, it rhymes and all of this, but, but this is just sort of a, a, a common thought that your buyer is going to lie to you. But then when I ask a different question to different audiences, if you are a buyer walking up to meet a salesperson, uh, salespeople are what? And ironically, they say the same thing. Salespeople are, are liars that they're dishonest. <laughs> got, Daniel Pink talks about this in his book, you know, To Sell as Human, that we've got this almost cartoon character picture of a salesperson in our brain uh, that's not particularly attractive. And so, you know, it might be based just experientially. It might be that, you know, I rented uh, Boiler Room or Glengarry Glen Ross, and therefore I know everything that I need to know about uh, about salespeople, right? So we've come up with these uh, these ideas, but if you think about it, if if I'm a buyer and I'm thinking the salesperson is going to lie, and I'm a salesperson, I'm thinking the buyer's going to lie. That's not exactly the foundation for a healthy relationship. And I would suggest that only one of those two parties has a responsibility to change their perspective, and that is the salesperson. So the customer owes us zero when they walk through the door. This is completely on the shoulders of that salesperson, that sales professional, to try and bring that customer along and to prove to them that they are not what they were fearing, either through their experiences or their cultural uh, um, uh, acquisitions or whatever it would be down the road. This is a unilateral decision that a salesperson has to make that I'm going to prove to you that I am the professional that can help you uh, deal with your problem. Well, I don't think there's any question about that. Oftentimes in training salespeople, I'll have them go through a list of things that we hate about salespeople. And like you, these are salespeople answering these questions. You know, we, we hate salespeople that are pushy and aggressive and they lie and all that kind of thing. So I say, you know, if you want to get way ahead of the average salesperson, the first thing you can do, <laughs> Jeff, is just simply quit doing those things. And yet, oddly enough, a lot of salespeople, absent any real training, they continue to do those kinds of things. But, I mean, if, if you really want to elevate yourself at least one level, my sense is that the first thing you would do is understand that the seller thinks I'm probably a liar. I need to work on credibility from the word go. Is, wouldn't that be a fair assessment? I think that's absolutely right. There's no question about it. You know, what's really interesting is when we think about that cartoon character salesperson, not just in our minds, but in the minds of most buyers, and we think about the plaid jacket and the white shoes and the medallions and the chest hair and the product and the bling and all of this stuff, right? And and what's it going to take to get you to buy my product today? You know, we think about that almost cartoon character, but then when you and I think about a salesperson that we actually know, somebody we've done business with, a family member, that's never what they look like. So we've got this, the customers have this idea in their mind that's not even really based on reality, but it's, it's there. It's sort of like the beach economies that took a hit when the movie Jaws came out. It was a fictional story, and yet it affects people's actual behaviors. So we've got to look at it and recognize we can't wait for our customer just to sort of figure it out on their own. The burden is entirely on us to say, if you are fearing that somebody's going to lie to you, and that burden is on me to get you uh, turned around and to be as honest and straightforward and credible as I can be right out of the gate. 
Jack, what are some of the things that salespeople can do in that initial interaction with a buyer to begin to dispel some of those potential thoughts that the buyer may have about the seller? Sellers are, you know, buyer, uh, the salesperson is a liar. And, and I think Jeff makes a good point. The only thing I can change is myself. What kinds of things would I do? What would I change? What, what kind of approach would you take? I, I think the first thing you need to do is, is you want to turn it from a pitch into a conversation by asking intelligent questions. And in order to earn the right to ask those intelligent questions, I, I'm going to go back to my broken record here. You need to do the research so that you go in there and you show them that you have read up about them and you understand something about them and say, let me, let me understand your situation a little better because I don't know if – if we can, we should do business together. So by earning the right, and I also think another thing that you can do is if you know that they may have a bad experience or, or bad idea about salespeople, bring it out on the table right away and expose that thinking and, and, and show that you're not afraid to tackle it head on. Jeff, do you think that uh, is a good idea or does that put me at a disadvantage? No, I, I, again, I think that that because, look, it's so easy to get caught in a lie anymore because the access to information is out there. The idea that you can just sort of BS your way through a sales presentation, yeah. that belongs to a different generation. But, I, I, you know, interestingly, though, I want to ask Jack a question, if that's okay. I know that this is unorthodox because normally, Kelly, you're the one who's supposed to ask all the questions. But, you know, oftentimes I'm dealing with salespeople who are not in a B2B environment. They're in a B2C environment. They're, direct, they're selling directly to consumers in what one would suppose to be a much more uh, emotion-based uh, purchase. So in that environment, one of the things that I will talk to salespeople about is that we're not trying to find our new BFF. We're not looking for somebody that we're going to vacation with. And yet the requirements for building a trust relationship are already there. The piece of advice are still there. The piece of advice I give to salespeople is to try to become what I call coffee worthy. That is after five minutes, would the person in front of you want to have a cup of coffee with you? And, and I say that from the perspective that, well, who do you want to have a cup of coffee with? Somebody who's interesting, somebody who's interested, somebody who's friendly, somebody who's easygoing, somebody who's honest, somebody who's nice. So I give that advice for salespeople to say, just have that as your goal. Just five minutes in, would somebody have, have, want to have a cup of coffee with you? Would, would you agree with that, Jackie? You're not going to hurt my feelings if you don't. I would definitely agree with that. My, my expertise is in B2B sales, so I'm going to defer to you on the B2C. But I think that it, if you go in with the, the right intention, people are very good at decoding intentions very quickly. And if you go in with the right intention of saying, hey, I, I truly would like to find out if there is a possibility that I can help you, that I can improve your situation in some way, I, th I think people will react to that. If you go in there with the idea that says, how can I manipulate this person into having coffee with me, I think they're going to see right through that fairly quickly as well. So it, it all comes to intentions. Yeah, I would chip in there as, as well, Jeff. I, I think it's interesting. I love that terminology. wrote that down immediately. I think that's a great way of describing someone that you, you know well enough to sit down with, but perhaps not well enough to act like you've, you know, you've been vacationing together, which is one of the classic mistakes that amateurs make. But at the same time, uh, people who read books and pick up a few techniques, uh, to Jack's point, they can come in and ask that question uh, I, I'd really like to find out how I can help you and then immediately revert back into the same old 
classic sales style. So again, I think there's a level of, and I, and I almost hesitate to use the word because it sounds cliched, but there, there's a level of authenticity that says, hey, I'm just a real person who's trying to figure out if our two businesses make sense. The word that I've always used is a business fit. Are we a good business fit? D- d- does that resonate? It does with me. I mean, I think that one of the things that I wrote down that Jack just said was the idea of decoding the intention. That concept of decoding the intention, not only is it a future blog post for me, I'm going to call that a Jeff Shore original by next Thursday. Um, (laughs) But he's absolutely right. Customers are intuitively strong at decoding intention right from the very beginning, which places the burden completely on the shoulders of the salespeople. May I, may I jump in with a quick story to illustrate yes. how I came across that idea? Absolutely. I, I, was, I was a banker for 10 years, and I got absolutely no sales training, and I was thrown out into the field and said, go bring in business. And, and I had to knock on doors and made every mistake in the book. And one day I made a call on a guy, and only because my bank had a good reputation, he, he allowed me to see him. He, he was the head of about a $50 million company. And I get into his office, and the first thing he says to me is, tell me why I should bank with you. And I looked him straight in the eye, and I didn't even think about what was coming out of my mouth. I said, I don't know. And he looked at me like, what, are you crazy? You want <laughs> I, don't know. I don't think Jeff teaches you that do, technique. I should do business with you? And, and I had no idea why I said that, but I was scrambling to try to come up with a good response. And what I said to him was, well, sir, I have a lot of clients that I've been able to help out their businesses tremendously. Some of them I've helped them with cash management services to improve their cash flow. I've helped some with loans to grow their business and so on. But until I know more about you and your business, I don't know if you should bank with me. Do you mind if I ask you some questions? And, and he said, well, that's an interesting approach. Go ahead, ask me some questions. And then, then I had to kind of scramble and try to think of some semi-intelligent questions, but it must have worked because <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you a shot. And he turned out to be my best relationship. And ever since then, that's, that's when I've learned that if you go in there with truly the intention to discover how there might be a fit, and if there's not a fit, one of the first things you tell them is, thank you very much. It sounds like you're doing well, and you don't need me, and, and I hope I can call you again in about six months and see how things are doing. Jeff, I want to see that one in your blog post, too. The new, new sales technique via Jeff Shore, when they ask you, why should I buy from you, you say, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, I, 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 I got to ask you some questions. I'm absolutely clueless. Well, it's it's interesting that that led you to a point. I, I did not know that you were a banker, Jack. I'm I'm in shock that a banker became a salesperson. Seems kind of odd, but uh, you know, mo- I, I know that all banking uh, institutions have their business development people. Uh, but it sounds to me like you weren't necessarily a biz dev guy. You were you're on the back end finance. But uh, I think you. What I thought I was going to be, and unfortunately, I didn't get that choice. I, I was made biz dev, and, and, and I went out there, and, and I learned it the hard way just by making every mistake in the book. Uh, that's great stuff. Well, you, you learned uh, in the you know, dire circumstances that really it, it's a lot more authentic when, when you're having that conversation and that dialogue, and I suspect that's, uh, that's why you are who you are today. Jeff, we've got about 30 seconds before we close out. Final thoughts on the psychology of selling. What, one tidbit for, uh, for listeners today, one, one little piece of information in addition to what we've talked about today they can take away that's going to make them better in front of a buyer when psychology matters. 
Easy equals right. If you can, the more that you can simplify in your customer's mind, the better that decision feels. When you're looking at making a decision, you're gonna have to deal with stress. This is interesting to me because decision making is a that's a that's a right side of the brain activity that comes out of the emotional side of the brain, but that's where stress resides as well. So you're always gonna have a conflict when you have too much stress that I have to see through in order to get to the decision on the other side. So the more we can simplify how this solution specifically works for your situation, then we provide cognitive fluency, cognitive ease, and easy equals right. Wrapping up four weeks of sales superstars here on BizLocker Radio with Jeff Shore and Jack Malcolm, two of the world's best in the selling world. You want to make sure you find them, jeffshore.com, jackmalcolm.com. Find these guys on Twitter as well. Make sure you're following them and reading their blog posts, especially that new one that Jeff's going to steal Jack's material. But uh, I, you know, I digress. Anyway, great to have you guys uh, on the show. Jack, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff. Jeff, great to have you on board as well. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Kelly. All right, you bet. We'll take our final time out. We're going to come back on the other side, and uh, my good friend, Miles Austin, will join us for the X's and O's segment. We're going to talk uh, about Chrome extensions. Hey, don't don't uh, hang up. There's some good stuff here. Going to make you better at what you're doing every day to find some of these productivity tools that make sense. We'll be back on the other side of the timeout. I'm Kelly Riggs. This is BizLocker Radio on Voice America. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Coming back in, Biz Locker Radio, brought to you by the Business Locker Room. Great to have you back. And what a great segment uh, that was. The second of two segments in the show already, Jeff Shore and Jack Malcolm. 
the psychology of buying. That is going to be must-listen material. So great to have those guys. Make sure you find their books, by the way. Jeff Shore, Be Bold and Win the Sale. Jack Malcolm, Strategic Presentation, Sales Presentations. Also, Bottom Line Selling. You want a copy free? Absolutely free. Guaranteed, I'm going to send it to you. All you have to do is take out your cell phone. Even if you're listening to the podcast, text the word BizLocker to 33 444. I'll take the first six. I'll send you a free book. Great to have you in the show as well. We turn to uh, Miles Austin for the X's and O's segment. Miles, great to have you in the show today, my friend. Thank you. I always love the opportunity, Kelly. Miles Austin, the web tools guy. Fillthefunnel.com is his website. If you've listened to the show a while, you know that. If not, you need to immediately go find his website loaded with good material about tools that will make you more productive. We talk about them on the show. Miles, today we're going to talk about Chrome extensions. Not everybody uses Chrome. Uh, tell us why we should. Well, great question. I just want to make it clear that the Chrome extensions we're talking about are not those little things you put on the end of your exhaust pipes to make it look cool that when you drive <laughs> down the road. That's so bad. That's yeah, so well, bad. but it's true. And you're right, because not everyone uses Chrome or even knows what Chrome extensions might be. So okay. uh, why should they use Chrome? Um, you know, it's really a personal preference a little bit. I think, you know, the stats show that between that Chrome is the leading um, browser out there. It's one of the two most flexible. I would tell people usually, you know, if you're using Firefox or you're using Chrome, you're going to be fine. They're both extensible. They're both very up to date. They're up to date. They're both using the freshest um, technology out there. So I just use Chrome very honestly because I like the way it works more uh, comfortably for me in the way I do my work than something like Firefox does. But they're both great products. You know, if I if I use uh, IE or if I use uh, Safari or something like that, do you highly recommend the changeover to Chrome? Um, you know. Yes or no? I use Safari all the time on my iPhone. I just don't bother clicking, trying to find my Chrome icon and clicking on it. Um, I use Chrome on my MacBook Pro. I use Chrome on my desktop. Um, so you know, it really depends. No, I, I'd say if something's working for you, don't change it. The only thing I would tell you to change is if you're using IE, change at least for now. There's a lot of rumors about a brand new version coming out and blah blah blah. But I would just tell you that you know most, just like I talk about WordPress. Most of the awesome, really powerful technology is being developed on a Chrome for, for in this world uh, of extensions is being developed for Chrome or Firefox. Usually, Chrome first, Firefox second. So we talk about Chrome extensions. These are the kind of little add-on tools you can put in the toolbar of Chrome, and they can make your life a lot easier. You said you've got a bunch of these to run through, so let, let let's start talking about some of your favorites and why you use them. Sure. I just went across my, my toolbar, very honestly, and started writing them down. So let me just use a couple of them. Um, some of these, we've talked about the actual tools themselves in past shows, things like Bitly, right? You can get a Bitly extension. It simply goes up in your browser, and then if you're on a page or something that you want to share with others, you literally click on that icon, and boom, you're ready to go. It adds it, creates the Bitly, and you're ready. So it saves you nine or ten clicks, at least, of your mouse. So that's just one example. Let me give you one that I use all the time. I do work on the web. I create web uh, pages and websites for marketing, etc. cetera, uh, and even in print sometimes. And so I'm always struggling. As I look and browser on the web, I find a font on a site that's just spectacular for a purpose or a need that I have. I thought, wow, I love it. But I have no idea what that font is. 
there's a font, there's, excuse me, an extension you can find uh, in the Chrome Web Store. Just search Chrome Web Store and you'll find all these things to download. It's called Font Face Ninja, F-O-N-T Face Ninja. And what this does is if I'm on a web page, something on the web, and I click on the little Font Face Ninja icon, then I go and move my mouse to wherever it is on the, the web that I want to find out what that uh, piece of information is, it, I click it, I highlight the text, and it shows me the text. It shows me what the font name is, the size of the, the, in the height and the width of that font that's being used on that page. Many times I find a look that just is really fresh and really pops at me. This tool now gives me the ability to say, okay, fine, I have an open sans 18 font thin setting for a font. I can go into my own application and go build it and duplicate that exactly. Wow. So it's really helpful. It's just one of those little utilities that will save you a lot of time. One that I use, I read a lot, Kelly, and I think a lot of us do, um, and I read more and more online. And so one of the things I come across every day is a word that I'm not sure I understand or I don't remember exactly maybe what it means. So there is a uh, Chrome extension called Google Dictionary. And so, again, you click it, highlight the word, or put your mouse, actually, just over the word. So as an example, if you see the word gigabytes, okay, now what is gigabytes? What does that mean again? Is that how many megabytes are in a gigabyte? You put your mouse over that word using this extension, and it'll give you a, a description and, in some cases, examples of how it's used, just as you would in a normal dictionary. <laughs> So, and where, where do you find all of these? Say that's the amazing part to me is that you even I, some of these would never even dawn on me. Do you do you, do they just send them to you, or how does this? No, all no, work? no. You got to go into the store I, again. I read a lot, and obviously because of what I do for a living, I I focus on tools from lots of people. I mean, there's lots of smart people that come up with um, a new new extension, or they're using one and they'll share it in a either in a presentation or in an online conversation or in a blog post or. Even live, people come up and say, hey, as an example, we talked about SalesLoft many weeks ago on the show. They have a great little browser extension that puts SalesLoft up on your little browser bar. So if I'm looking at you, something with you um, in a LinkedIn profile or something, I click on that and I highlight you, and boom, all of a sudden I, it pulls everything up about you within uh, the web, you know, within the web environment. So I look at your LinkedIn links and your Twitter pages and all of those things all because of simply clicking on it. So another one I use a lot, uh, and for me, it's I get sometimes the challenge, I, I get too distracted on too many things, and there's a uh, an extension called Stay Focused, and it's F-O-C-U-S-D. They spelled okay. it wrong because of obvious reasons for branding. But it's really a godsend for us that kind of fritter away some of our time online when I'm trying to get a blog post or working on a book or something, and I keep going over to Twitter or Facebook or I check my email. Stay focused gives you an ability to stay right within the, the actual application that you're using. So you can set yourselves the time allowance, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to say for the next four hours or the next two hours, um, it will then block access to all everything else on the web or whatever you choose to block. So <laughs> I can't get to it until I get this project done. And, and it sounds is it, crazy. But is it irreversible? Really, 
No, no, you can configure it all you want, and you can get out of it, but it's designed to say, hey, don't look over there right now. <laughs> Stay away from your email. Let's get this project, this book, this chapter done. Uh, and I use it very honestly. I'll use it several times a week because it's just, you know, the phone rings and everything else, as you know. So um, that's just another one that I find really helpful. Here's one that I find real is really helpful. Um, even if, you know, some of us, uh, maybe you're creating graphics, there's something called TinEye. T-I-N-E-Y-E, TIN-I, one word, reverse image search. And it's kind of similar to another product from Google so it's called Search by Image. But TIN-I finds other versions of a selected image. So you find out where else that image might be used. Uh, you can find other versions of it or maybe higher resolutions of that image. Um, and so it really is just the ability to go find it. A lot of times I'll find an image. I really like it, but I thought, but let me go find out if this is a copy, if this is something I can use or not. And if you go use TinEye, click on the icon, go to the image, and it'll show all the other instances where that image is being used online. And many times you'll find, no, that it is created by one individual who has a copyright on it. And then you either go about asking permission or whatever you might want to do. But it's, it's a very helpful way uh, to get that. And so back again, I'll just use a different one. That was TinEye, TinEye Reverse Image Search. Um, another one that I find uh, helpful when I'm um, working on a smaller screen, when I don't have my nice dual screen set up in a, in a home environment at my office, there's a product uh, in this group called Hover Zoom, H-O-V-E-R Zoom. And a little extension, very simple. You put your mouse over an image and it brings up and explodes that image and it zooms it out to be much easier to see. I use it a lot if I'm looking at things like um, an infographic and as you know sometimes those images and the words and things are kind of small. I click on the icon for Hoover Zoom. I go back to the photo. I put my mouse in the middle of that infographic and it magnifies it um, dramatically larger, and you can adjust how much you want it to magnify. So it's just another really helpful one. That's uh, interesting. Miles Austin is my guest, as always, in the X's and O's segment. As we talk about Chrome extensions, these are extensions that you can add into your Chrome browser. Uh, they're very easy to find. Go on to uh, the Chrome store. And how do you access the Chrome store, Miles, for those who might be interested? Just go search uh, in Google or your search engine. Just go search for Chrome Web Store, and you'll find them all. Gotcha. Chrome Web Store. All right. So uh, you, you've given us a half a dozen of, of really good ones. And I know you've got a long list. So I'm just going to let you take off and stay with it. <laughs> well, you tell me how much longer we have. But uh, yeah, we got about, we got about uh, three or four minutes left uh, before we run out of show. So just perfect. take off. Okay. Well, let's use one called Jot, J-O-T. And Jot is a new – new, when you create a new tab within your browser, in this case Chrome, it's a new tab – page replacement. And what it does is when you click on that icon, it opens up a new tab which helps you take notes. It lets you type right onto that screen. So it's clean, it's simple, it displays your text in really clear and readable text. Um, and then they have some nice images in the background to make kind of make it more pleasant. But if I'm doing research or I'm kind of making some notes, maybe I'm working on a presentation and I'm on that page, I click it, I open up a new tab, and I've got a little notepad right there. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to open up notepad or click around. It's right there in front of me, uh, and it's very handy. Hmm. Um, let me give you one that we, and we've talked in the past about Skype and Hangouts. Both of those products have a Chrome extension, so it literally sits on the top of your browser. 
I want to make a Skype call. I click it. Boom, I'm in. Same with Hangouts. I want to start a Hangout for some reason with some person or group of people. I click the Hangout icon. It's on my screen. I enter in the email addresses, and we're connected and ready to go. Gotcha. Um, another one I use, and this is kind of gets down into the, the comfort level and the security a little bit, um, is an is a extension called Disconnect. And Disconnect, it's an add-on for Chrome that allows users to see advertising, analytics, and social media tracking cookies, right? And I think most of us understand that most of the sites we're visiting are popping a little cookie on our computer so they can track you throughout your visit to their site and, very frankly, what you do afterwards. Um, so this has an option then of disalab- disabling all of those cookies either globally, wiping huh. them all out, or just selectively. So you say, look, I don't want Yahoo tracking me, but it's okay if, my, if uh, uh, the biz locker room tracks me. And they do that for advertising and for getting knowledge of you and your activities and your preferences. But sometimes, and there are times, and that's a lot of times where malware and other things can creep in. So it's nice to have that option. It has a host of features that come with it. You can create white lists and black lists, so you can say these are always permitted, these aren't. Um, it gives you a really neat tool to see where and who the sites are that are tracking your activities across mm-hmm. the web. It's really okay. enlightening to do it. Sure. And it also tells you how much they're tracking in bandwidth. Are they, are they taking up a lot of your computing power because they're tracking all the things you do? That's interesting. I, you know, I never thought about it like that. I didn't know that cookies would actually take bandwidth and slow slow down some of the operations that you're doing. Absolutely. If you're if you're surfing, let me give you one more quick one, real quick. Okay. It's called View Through. View Through. V i e w t h r u. Two words. And we've talked about you know Bitly and other URL shorteners in the past, but the truth is, some people who are not good citizens can also abuse those. They can send you to some place that you don't want to go or a malware site or something. So if you use this extension, um, ViewThrough provides us with a way to, be, to see transparently what that end URL is going to be, right? So if I click on bit.ly slash fill the funnel, that's going somewhere. Right. I'd like to assume it's going to a legitimate location. I've just made it easier for you to follow or to type in or to share on Twitter or whatever. Sure. So if you use this one, you put your mouse over that URL, that shortened URL, and it'll display what the actual URL is that it's going to, right? And it's supported by most of them, the Bitleys and the Googles and all those people that's supported by. I tell people that if you're using this tool and it doesn't work, I wouldn't follow the link. Right, because the big kids, the ones that are legitly, legitimately shortening URLs, give you that ability uh, to to see where it really goes. It's just a nice way to know. It's also a way if you're curious if someone said no, it's not a uh, an affiliate URL as an example, and you go put your mouse over it, and sure enough, it is. It kind of helps you with some credibility establishing uh, of the people you're doing business with or communicating with. Oh, you bet. It's a bunch of great stuff. Over a dozen Chrome extensions. Many of these I'd never even heard of. Many of them have very real value in terms of what you do every day when you're sitting at a computer. So make sure you go back and check out some of these and see if they make sense to you. Miles, great to have you on the show. Thanks for the insight, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, Kelly. All right, very good. Miles Austin, the web tools guy. He's at fillthefunnel.com. Follow him on Twitter at 
Miles Austin. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. And what a fantastic show it was. We wrap up four episodes in a row. Nothing but salespeople today. It was Jack Malcolm and Jeff Shore. Want to make sure that uh, you go find those guys, find their books, jeffshore.com, jackmalcolm.com. Many thanks to our engineer, Kevin Gassman, also our executive producer, Brandy Jackson. Remember, next week, Joe Polizzi, contentmarketinginstitute.com. He'll join us to talk about his book and about the whole concept of content marketing. His book is epic content marketing. That's going to do it. Biz Locker Radio here on Voice America. I'm Kelly Riggs. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining the Business Locker Room with your host, Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of the Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win.